much, Stephanie, and all God's people said? Amen. Thank you so much for that song. Thank you, Ensemble, for that song earlier, and David for that offertory uh, on the piano there. Take your Bible, if you would, and turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And I want to preach a message this morning entitled, Big Answers. Big Answers. Life is full of questions. You know that, and I know that. Some are easy questions, and some are more difficult. Uh, Some are little questions. Others are big questions. Uh, We were going, as I mentioned a moment ago, and as you notice, or as you know, we were going for 10 days, and uh, there were times that I truly woke up and I said to myself, Am I in Bethlehem or am I in Caesarea? And if I'm in Caesarea, am I in Caesarea Philippi or Caesarea Maritime? Uh, Am I in Jericho or am I in Jerusalem or am I in Nazareth? Where am I? That's a question. Uh, There are times on the plane I thought, where am I? Am I in Atlanta or am I in Knoxville or am I in New York or in Paris or Tel Aviv? Those are Those are questions. But questions in life get more serious than that. Who should I date? Who who should I marry? Um, Should we have children? What occupation should I uh, go after? And how should I work in that occupation? Where should I live? Those are all great questions. As we look at our text in just a moment, uh, we will find one of the greatest uh, demonstrations of the love of God. And one of the questions has to be in our life, does God really love me? Does the God of this universe love me? I heard about a seventh grade uh, young boy that the Saturday before Valentine's Day, he went to the local a Hallmark gift shop to find a card. And he walked up to the counter and he said, I want the greatest card you have. And so the lady behind the counter walked him over to a section of Valentine's cards and he looked at them and she said, this one is the most beautiful. And the words on the inside are incredible. And She read it to him, and it said, You are the only girl for me. And he said, That's perfect. I'll take five. (laughs) Listen, he he had a fickle kind of love. God's love's not like that. Amen? God truly loves you, and God truly loves me. And in this passage of Scripture, we're going to see that very thing. John Scott or Stott, rather, said that that Paul hurls questions at us in the latter part of chapter 8 in Romans. And so, you have your Bible, Romans 8. If you would stand with me as we read our text, beginning in verse 31. Romans 8 and verse 31. Listen to these words. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Can you say amen right there? 
He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is He who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or pearl peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a passage of Scripture. Let's pray together. Our Father God, in the name of Jesus, we bow before You, and Lord, we thank You so much for Your Word. Father, I pray, oh God, I pray this morning that You would speak through me, that You would give me the words of life through Your Word of life, oh God. Father, I pray that You would give me today clarity of thought. Father, I just ask that You would help us this morning to see truth. And Father, we'll be very careful to give you the thanks and the honor and the glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. There are several questions in this latter part of Romans 8, and what I want to do this morning is look at two of these questions. First of all, we find the question, is God for us? Is God for us? If you'll notice verse 31, it says this, What then shall we say to these things? Theologians would ask, what things is Paul talking about? And most would agree that he is talking about what he has written in the book of Romans up until chapter 8. In other words, in chapter 1, it, he writes to those who are in Rome, beloved by God, those who are divinely loved by God. And then in chapters 2 and 3 of Romans, he, he tells us that the Jew is, is guilty and, and that the Gentile is guilty, that everyone is guilty, that there are none righteous, no, not one. But then he begins to pick it up and in chapters 4 through 8, he talks about this great salvation that we have. And so he's talking about these things, the, the salvation that, that we have been adopted and, and all of the, the beautiful things of salvation. And so in verse 31, he says, 
what then shall we say to these things, these things of salvation? If God is for us, who can be against us? There's our question. Is God for us? He mentions the latter part of that question, who can be against us? Well, friend, we have many things and many people who are against us. If, if you heard what I read as we read our text, uh, he enumerates many of those things that are against us. But then he mentions what um, Ray Ortland calls the joyful defiance. He says this, if God is for us. You see, we can have many adversaries, and we do. You've got many adversaries. I have many adversaries. But ultimately, they will never defeat the believer. They will never defeat the believer. Why? Because God is for us. Greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. He's for us. We may ask the question as we look at our circumstances, how do we know that? How do we know that God is for us? We look around at and, and, and what is going on in our life. We, we look around and, and at all the things that we're dealing with and, and we say, how do we truly know that God is for us? In verse 32, I think he proves it. There is not a doubt that God is for us. Look at verse 32. He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. How do you know that God is for you? The cross of Calvary. That's how you know that God is for you. Amen? The cross. That's how we know. You see, Jesus died for me and He died for you. And the, the, the thing that is amazing to me is He died for us knowing us. Knowing us. I have an iPhone. It's uh, always laying up here, and it's got a clock on it, so I can always tell uh, what time it is as I'm preaching. Um, but if you have an iPhone, you know that there is a, a thing on it that's called Map Destinations, and, and your iPhone gets to know where you're going. On Saturday mornings, if I look at map destinations, it will say 2948, uh, Fern, whatever uh, address, uh, Timothy, Leah, and Avery, Kate, wherever they live. It has that address because on Saturday mornings, that's where I go. Well, I looked at it this morning, and you know the address it gave me for this morning? Well, you would think 310 Memorial Drive, but... It gave me the Methodist church next door here, that address. And it said White Oak Methodist. About two years ago, I was standing with Leslie and Daniel, and we were in at Bryn's, and, and I was sort of bragging about my phone. And, and I looked at Bryn, Leslie's aunt, and I said, watch this. I said, hey, call my wife. And Siri said, which wife? And Leslie looked at me. She just turned like that. 
And like Lucy would say to Ricky Ricardo, you got some explaining to do, amen? I mean, which wife? You see, my iPhone doesn't even know me. It, it thinks I pastor over at the Methodist church and that I have multiple wives. If you're watching on Facebook Live, I have one wife. Listen, my iPhone doesn't really know me, but Jesus knows me. He knows me, and, and yet knowing me, He loved me. And you say, is God for me? Is God for us? The cross screams out, He's for us. It's amazing to me as we look at verse 32, He says, He who did not spare His own Son, being Jesus, but delivered Him up for us all. But notice the latter part there. How shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? It's amazing to me as, as you look at that verse that He goes from the greater to the lesser. He talks about the cross and then He says, listen, if you'll do that, He will... He'll give you all things, all things that are necessary for life. To get to the final destination, all of those things He will take care of. Our God does not nickel and dime us to death. He, he takes care of us. Be like if you were going to take your family to Disneyland. I don't know if you've ever done that lately, but you'd probably have to refinance your house. And then take off for Disneyland, and, and you know what all of that, the, the hotels and the food, and, and you take care of all the park entrances, and all of those things, and, and it begins to add up. And, and if you've done all of that, and then you pull into parking, and it says parking is $15, and, and you look at your wife and say, no way. I'm drawing the line right there. I'm not going to do that. That'd be absolutely foolish. Because you, you've already done all of this. You're just going to pay the parking so you won't have to walk three miles. Listen, he says, Jesus died on the cross for you. I mean, that's the, that, that is the ultimate. And, and, and he will take care of all things that are necessary. He will freely give. God is for us. He's for us. This week we were at the Garden Tomb. And, and I tell you, it was, it was, an, it was an amazing time. And, and we were there, most of us were able to make that trip. We sat under a little pavilion and, and we were going to have a worship time. And can I just tell you, you cannot be ho-hum at the Garden Tomb. We sat there and uh, we had a, had a friend with us that's a, an evangelist and he gave a, a little devotion. And he had told me, he said, listen, I'm going to get to a, a part in this devotion that I, I'm going to look at you and I'm going to say, uh, Brother Tony, is he alive? And I just want you to start singing up from the grave he arose. And he did. He said, uh, Brother T., is Jesus alive? And I begin to sing up from the grave, and we all begin to sing it together. And then Timothea sang. It was a beautiful, beautiful time. 
And then David Hudson sang. He sang that song, Watch the Lamb. We were all under that pavilion, and, and he just he sat, David sat as, as he sang, Watch the Lamb. And, and I'm telling you, people began to, began to weep. And then Carrie sang. And then we were able, we were able to do communion. Um, just a little bit from where uh, one of the places they say that, that Jesus could have died and rose again. It was, it was an amazing, an amazing, an amazing time. And this morning, early, as I was looking at this again, verse 32, He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all on the cross, that time that we spent last week came back to my heart. We know, listen, we know that Jesus is alive. Aren't you glad this morning that you serve a, a risen Savior? He is alive. The Bible says in verse 33 of our text, Who shall bring a charge? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who has the authority to bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. In other words, it's already been declared. We have been declared righteous. It's God who justifies. And then look at verse 34. Who is he who condemns? Who is he who condemns? Who, who can condemn us? It is Christ who died. Can I just ask you a question this morning? Do you really believe that Jesus died? Don't we this morning believe that Jesus died? I believe it with all of my heart and with all of my soul. I believe that Jesus died, and, and, and yet it does not stop there. Thank the Lord. Because the Bible says, it is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen. In other words, He conquered death. Furthermore, even more, He has been raised. The Christian Standard Bible says, even more, He has been raised. God is for us. He died and He is risen, who is even at the right hand. Listen, He's at the right hand of God and He makes intercession for us. Robert Murray McShane said this, he said, if I knew Jesus was in the next room praying for me, I would not fear 10,000 enemies. But distance does not matter. I know that He is praying for me. And He is. I want you to take your Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 7. I want to read a passage of Scripture to you. One verse. Hebrews 7 and verse 25. Listen to these words. Hebrews 7 and verse 25, Therefore He, Jesus, is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him, since He 
always lives to make intercession for them. He always lives. He ever liveth to make intercession for them. I'm so glad that He saves to the uttermost. And, and Jesus is praying for us. Because God is for us. God is for us. And the second question is this. It's found in our text, Romans chapter 8. In verse 35, notice what it says. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And if you look at this passage, he takes double the time to answer that one question there. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I believe as we look at at the fact that he takes double time, uh, he's saying, listen, let this truth land on you. Let it land on you. And then he begins to share, shall tribulation or distress or persecution, shall these separate us from the love of Christ? Or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? And then Paul, being a great preacher, begins to quote Scripture. He shares a passage out of Psalm 44. He says, as it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. In other words, he's saying suffering is par for the course. Don't be surprised if you face suffering. It's going to happen. In verse 37, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. More than conquerors. Uh, We are super conquerors through Him who loved us. The Bible says in verse 38, For I am persuaded, I am convinced, I am sure, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, He begins to share all of this in verse 39. Nor height, nor depth, or any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. What is the answer, church? Listen, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can. He is for us, and nothing can separate us from the love of God. Why? Because we are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Eugene Peterson put it like this, Nothing can drive a wedge between us and the love of God. Nothing can. This passage should do a couple of things. First of all, I believe as as we look at this passage this morning, that number one, it ought to fire us up. It really ought to. This passage ought to fire us up. Romans 8 begins with no condemnation and it ends with no separation. And if that can't fire you up, I don't know what can fire you up. If that can't fire my heart up, I don't know what can. It ought to fire us up. 
And then the second thing I think it ought to do is lift us up. If, if we walked in this morning down and, and discouraged, if, if we walked in this morning needing something to lift us up, listen, if our tank is empty, it'll always help us to know that the tomb is empty. Amen? If your tank is empty this morning, just, just glance just with your spiritual eyes, glance over at the tomb. It's empty. And because it's empty, it ought to lift our hearts. Martin Luther, the reformer, uh, was up a lot of times in his ministry, but if you've ever read much about him, he was also discouraged a lot. And he was going through one of those times of discouragement and uh, it was getting to his wife. Her name is Kate. It was getting to Kate. And, and so he walked in one day, Martin Luther, the reformer, back in the 1500s. And she was dressed in black, and she had her children dressed in black. And when he walked in from an appointment, he looked at his wife and he said, Oh, my goodness, who died? And she said, God died. He said, what are you talking about? And she said, well, the way you're acting, you're acting like God died. And he went into his study, and he wrote a word that means he lives. And that little thing that she did began to fire him up because it reminded him that God's not dead. Amen. He's alive. And when our God is alive, nothing is impossible. 1631, a pastor named Robert Bruce, he's a friend of John Knox. In 1631, he was having breakfast with his family. They were all gathered around the, the breakfast table. He was having breakfast. And all of a sudden, he said these words. He said, my master calleth me. I don't know how he knew, but he looked at his family and he said this. He said, I'm having breakfast with you this morning, but I'm going to have dinner with Jesus tonight. My master calleth me. He asked his daughter to go get the Bible and to turn to Romans chapter 8 and he had her read, verses 31 through 39, what we just read. And the story goes, his family told it, that he laid his hand on that passage of Scripture. And he said these words. He said, I die believing this word. I die believing this word. I die believing this word that God is for us and nothing can separate us from the love of God. What a challenge to my heart this morning. But you know what? We ought to say as we leave this place, I live today believing these words. I live believing these words. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. 
Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. We're going to have a time of, of decision. If you're here today and you have never given your heart to Jesus, you're here today and you can never remember a time in your life that you asked Christ to be your Savior. I want to encourage you this morning, in just a moment when we begin to sing, to walk down and just place your hand in mine and just say, Pastor, I, I, need, I need to be saved today. I need to give my heart to Christ today. I want to go to heaven. I want to shun hell. Why don't you come to Jesus today? Maybe you're here today and you know that you're saved. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, you know that you are saved without a shadow of a doubt. But maybe you've been struggling. You just want to come and get on bended knee. Say, God, I've been reminded today that you are for us and that nothing can separate us from your love. And I just want to claim that truth today. Maybe you want to come and just get on your face before God and claim that truth today. The doors of this church are open if you'd like to come and place your life here. If you'd like to come and join this church, we would love to have you this morning. Very quietly, very reverently, would you stand? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Just stand and I'm going to pray. Right after I pray, I invite you to come. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I bow before you. And I just pray, God, that you would take the Word and penetrate our hearts. Father, I pray today if there's anyone here and they're lost, that today that they would come to Christ. Father, I pray this morning, if there's anyone struggling in this church house, they may come and just find a place and get alone with you, our God. Father, I pray that you'd add to our church. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And as we sing, would you come? God spoke.